Bienvenidos a Sociedad Gamer. En este episodio tenemos dos invitados muy especiales el día de hoy. Uno de ellos, un profesor desde Estados Unidos, o de hecho, dos profesores desde Estados Unidos. Uno con el que ya habíamos tenido un episodio previamente, Juan Pablo Vázquez. Y uno nuevo, Tyler, que básicamente eh, es una persona que ha diseñado un juego similar a The Oregon Trail, que se llama The Ha Trail. Y nos va a contar un poco más acerca del juego y por qué, lo, por qué él decidió hacer un juego pues como este. Como ustedes, los que me han escuchado en este podcast saben, yo soy un fan muy, muy grande de The Oregon Trail. Y creo que hay un factor muy importante que los videojuegos pueden cubrir en el tema educativo. Así que sin más preámbulo, welcome you guys, JP and Tyler. Uh, it's great having you here. Uh, I'm so excited to have you, Tyler, because as many people that listen to my podcast know, and as JP knows, I'm a big, big, big fan of the Oregon Trail. And I've previously talked about video games and education, and I'm deeply passionate about education and how video games can come into the classroom to teach students about history in this case. But I think they can teach about many other subjects uh, that a teacher can use like to complement uh, their their teaching materials. I don't know if I'm making any sense. I think you do, because I think you use your materials in class. So mm -hmm. um, a quick introduction wouldn't be, um, it would be great if you guys had a quick introduction, JP and Tyler. Yeah, like I'll go ahead and introduce myself. My name's uh, Tyler Kin. I'm a professor of Islamic history at Central Connecticut State University. and. What I, uh, you know, have mainly done um, in sort of the past few years is tried to develop, like the Oregon Trail, a sort of educational tool called the Hodge Trail to introduce students and players to the cultural history of the Ottoman world. So taking the same sort of methods that the Oregon Trail did, but applying it to sort of a new, um, sort of a new geographical and historical area. And so part of, you know, my research as a historian is mainly on the pilgrimage to Mecca, the Hajj, the Islamic world. Um, and then I basically applied that to sort of building this, uh, this game in what is now in sort of its early stages, but with hope for development even further. But I'm you know, very happy to be here to talk as we get into more details on like the concepts behind this as well. Great. Great. Uh, Well, I'm Juan Pablo Vasquez. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, the last episode was amazing. So when you called me and when you messaged me and told me about this episode, I was incredibly excited. I am a teacher. I've been teaching social studies for the past, social studies and history for the past five years, uh, primarily with middle school uh, and a little bit with uh, fifth graders, depending on where you're at, that will fall under the category of, of middle school. Um, I am currently in Washington, uh, New York City, just moved here like a week ago. So I don't know the landscape of, of, of uh, schools here. I know that I will have a job by the beginning of the school year. Um, before this, I was in uh, Washington, D.C. And yeah, like as I was, as I was reading about you, Tyler, and, and you know, the little, bit, little bits of, of, of information I was able to get, to get um, For me, as a teacher, like I'm always looking for ways to to, to engage students because history, particularly at that age, feels so um, overwhelming and not interesting. Uh, so, if we develop tools that that will take the weight of teachers uh, to make it like this really interesting thing, and instead, like I can I can delegate that mission to a game, for example, uh, it's something exciting. So so. Uh, very much looking forward to, to, to the conversations we're about to have. And yeah, 
Thanks. Thank you, JP. I, I need to do like a quick uh, call back here. And it's for you, both of you guys, because uh, I've always said it, but I think teachers have an, uh, a really big role uh, in students uh, garnering like a passion or at least liking history. Uh, I think for my part and JP, I think knows it, but I, when I was at school, uh, we had a, a really good teacher, actually two really good history teachers that I think were the basis for me um, getting to uh, like more history and becoming more passionate towards history, uh, Matthew Shannon and, and uh, Mr. Baikowski, actually. Uh, and I think they, the, the, the teachers as a whole, especially when, when, when students are young, have a, a, a very important role, uh, like getting students acquainted to history and getting students acquainted to, of course, different subjects. But in, in my case, it was history because they were two great, great teachers that I, I don't think they um, know just how much they were important in my development and my me liking history. But yeah, it's just like a, a, a big like thank you to what you are doing, both of you. And, and just I hope you keep doing it and keep uh, like putting so much passion on what you do uh, going forwards. So, uh, Tyler, I, I don't know if you have a gaming background or did you play any games before we, we get into the, the harsh trail? Like, did you play any games when you were a child or when you were younger? Or do you think games played any role in you liking history or in you liking uh, any themes whatsoever? Yeah, like, like I, I think obviously the most obvious answers. I played the Oregon Trail when I was younger, which obviously has a through line to what we'll be talking about today, but also their 90s spin-offs, the Amazon Trail, the Yukon Trail, when they had like, um, you know, a few other spin-offs from that series. Um, because I, I grew up in, uh, in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota happens to be the state where, um, what's it called? MCC, the company that made oh, Oregon okay, Trail yeah. was based. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, it's unique in gaming development history because it was a company that was run and owned by the Minnesota state of Minnesota mm -hmm. department of education. So it was a publicly funded gaming, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, uh, publicly run uh, state owned um, uh, game development company, which was then later in the nineties then sold off and privatized and dismantled. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of a legacy of the sort of this longer, uh, trajectory, which, you know, you don't see as often out there, which also points to sort of the different educational goals of gaming through that, that are maybe different than some, uh, you know, for-profit, uh, games out there in different ways. But so growing up, I played in school, the Oregon trail, I played, you know, other things like, uh, you know, the typical, like, you know, battlefield, I had a whole like mm -hmm. battlefield 1942, all the, the world war II kick as a kid and stuff like that. And there was definitely a way in which like me liking history and me playing like games in a historical setting was very sort of tandem with one another. Like I played some, I forget what's called some American civil war late early two thousands video game as well. That was horrible graphics and things like that. And, you know, so, so it was always something that went, you know, was very much part of like me growing up and like I eventually went on to like major in history and become a you know get a PhD and everything but that was always like it's only very recently that I realized how foundational mm -hmm. the imaginations that games provide the spaces that it lets you explore as a kid um, shaped my own trajectory that there is this very deep connection between what games can do for a student's 
imagination of the past, which as historians, that is the main thing you're trying to get at. You're trying to have someone understand in different ways the complexities, the lived realities as close as you can get of something that's so distant from our own moment in time. And that's games can do that in a much better way than even books <laughs> in yeah. some cases. Um, so I think it's something that, you know, is something that I'm more and more rediscovering in my own teaching as an amazing tool, but also then knowing student, like I mainly teach, most of my classes are gonna be uh, college students, freshmen and sophomore, and, but knowing that they're coming into like say a world history class that they have, knowing that they're coming in with all these preconceived imaginations of the past, usually mm -hmm. based from media, but largely also based from their own experiences of games growing up. And it's such a foundational thing of our own understanding of the past. That I think it's, you know, scholars and you know we should talk about it much more than i think it traditionally has been in many ways and and uh, uh like i don't know did, did you play age of empires when you were young i played it um a little bit later on i mainly played uh rise of nations mm -hmm. rise the, of really good yeah but not yeah, as historical yeah, not as historical. I've only I only played Age of Empires later on in the grand scheme. I played Sid Meier's Pirates mm -hmm. specifically, um, which was had sword fighting and mm -hmm. court dancing mechanics involved. Um, but like, there's a you know so, and I played like, um, you know things like. Uh, other some other I played some Civ as well, mm -hmm. but not mm -hmm. not as much. It's just based on what was on my my parents' household computer that my older brothers had had downloaded. So that's so, so the limitation <laughs> early on. Because it's funny I, I, when I think about it. I don't know, did you play Oregon Trail, JP, when you were young? I did, and I, I think uh, I had a friend, I had a neighbor who had the game, and I was not too drawn to the game mm -hmm. because... I, I, I was more like a console player, like a, you know, Nintendo, mm -hmm. uh, like Sega. That was kind of my vibe. So I would go to his house and we play Oregon, Oregon Trail. And I think it didn't hit me that I was playing that after mm. when I was a lot older. And I thought about that and I thought about like, oh, what was that game that I used to play? And I was like, oh, that game was actually pretty popping, you know? Uh, so I'd say like my, my, draw, my drawing to like history was not tied particularly to that game. But I think today, uh, thinking back to it, I'm like, that's an excellent tool. Uh, and it was a really good game at the time. Yeah, it was, it was I think, ahead of its, of its time. But I think it's funny to think about it because we were in that time in Colombia, the 90s. Uh, to think that a game made in Minnesota came into our hands, I think the, oh. like the probabilities of that, I, I don't know... If, I don't know how widespread it was in the 90s, but certainly in Colombia, the gaming, like the gaming uh, industry today in Colombia is really small. And in the 90s, well, it was kind of non-existent. So to think that that game, for example, came into my hands in the 90s, I think it's it's like a, a really kind of a funny coincidence, but thankfully it did. Because, yeah, it's a, it's a really great game, actually. Um, yeah, it I just can't, I'll add one thing there. One of the, I was teaching this gaming and history class last spring and we were reading all this stuff on the Oregon Trail and apparently it has this connection where like the first Apple computers, they wanted, they like basically paired the Oregon Trail with the first Apple computers to then be able to sell it to schools, to then get ahead on like 
show to try to get Apple computers in schools ahead of uh, my, mm -hmm. the other computers. And so there's this weird connection with Apple and the Oregon Trail being like this, like their you know benevolent thing they were helping to fund <laughs> to, to help them get their product out there, which also explains the weird early spread of it into many mm -hmm. different many yeah. different spaces. Yeah, but I I think in Colombia, Apple computers in the '90s were a non-existent tool. I'm guessing, but just wait one second. Okay, I, I had to bring this. I had to. Um, I don't know if you can see it. Oh, Maybe not. I, I I know what the art design <laughs> looks like. So I. I <laughs> there you go. There yeah, you go. There we go. Yeah. That's 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 the Oregon Trail I played, and I have the CD, the CD somewhere else. But yeah, I have the CD and and everything. It does not work in modern computers, yeah. but I mean, I, as I said, it was a it was a like a, a really uh, important experience when I was little playing the Oregon Trail. And I think it shaped, as you say, uh, it shaped my, uh, my me liking or wanting to know more about history. And that's why I mentioned uh, Age of Empires, because it, it was a game that had text, which you can, could read if you wanted to know more about the story, more about the civilizations. And well, yeah, it, it's very basic, but... Uh, Knowing that many people went into history because of, of those games, I, I think it's kind of amazing. Um, quick question, how did you choose to study history? Why did you uh, become a historian? And why specifically the, the history you, you study nowadays? Yeah, it was sort of like, uh, it's one of these things where, you know, when I was younger, I just really loved history. It was the you know subject I was the best at in you know, elementary mm -hmm. school and onwards. And... I, you know, I think it had to do with, you know, there's, you know, you never really know where it comes from. I know my, my, when I was, when I was young, my grandfather uh, passed away when I was fairly young and, but he bequeathed me his, like all his like history books he had mm -hmm. <laughs> as, a, as a young kid. And I think just delving into those was something that just like continued my interest. And then as, as I was more and more interested in history, I got sort of tired of the same old topics, the normal stories that you always hear, the normal sort of narratives of the past that are so focused on, you know, as, you know, either growing up in Minnesota, the history of the United States, or, you know, World War II, or those big, big sort of flagship mm -hmm. <laughs> things that are lots of very popular in pop history. And so when I was in late high school, I just started reading about the Eastern Mediterranean, the Byzantine Empire, I found that really interesting, um, as it was like, the Roman Empire, but not quite thousands of years later, you know, what does this look like? Why haven't I heard much about this in my like high school history classes or things like that? And then when I got to college, the first semester, they were advertising a Turkish language program. And I was like, sure, if I'm going to study Byzantine archaeology, I'll need to know Turkish to go to archaeological sites there. And then that quickly led to me just studying the Ottoman Turks. Okay. <laughs> so, that's so, you know, yeah. So, so it sort of goes a uh, convert into sort of the history of the Ottoman world um, uh, with a really great professor, Giancarlo Casale, who was at Minis the University of Minnesota at the time, who was just a very energetic speaker, a very charismatic person, which was just really much sort of pulled me into that field of studying the history of the Middle East. And that just, you know, step by step from there, I studied in Turkey after that. And then I did master's PhD all on sort of the history of the Islamic world but it's sort of this mm -hmm. kind of odd journey <laughs> to, to get to get to that get to that moment and get to that place so. amazing uh, 
And before we get into the hash trail, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but um, <laughs> before we get into the hash trail, um, I want to I wanna ask you both, what do you think about the intersection between video games and education? Because I, I want to know too from you, Tyler, when did you decide uh, or thought it was a good idea to bring a video game uh, into your curriculum per se, like using the hash trail to teach students about history? So uh, like, I want to know your your broad thoughts about how you think video games and education can, can intersect. Yeah, it's something that um, happened basically, I think with, with most people, once they start teaching, you can start getting ideas of how do I better connect to students in different ways. And so when I was finishing my PhD, I started um, adjunct teaching world history courses at uh, like Montclair State in New Jersey for a few for a semester. And then like, you know, Uh, then I was at the University of Memphis uh, teaching all these different world history classes. And, you know, you see when you're teaching the history, usually when you teach a world history class, you're teaching, the, you know, everything that's not Europe and not the not the U.S., mm -hmm. not the U.S. That is like <laughs> you have to cover everything else. And people that, you know, I was sort of always a little bit jealous of the media, the movies, the games, even that people that do European history or do. U.S. history could pull in to show their students because there's so much stuff created. And I wanted to have something to pull in for my students as well that they could learn about the Ottoman Empire, the Islamic world. And there was just nothing <laughs> nothing out there. So one became one of these things that it was like, well, if no one else is going to make it, maybe we can try to make, you know, I can try to make it myself in different ways. And, you know, it just sort of, you know, came together with talking with a friend um, who was in my program, Russ Gassi, who had a little bit of background in coding. And he was like, hey, we had talked about how my the stories I would tell from my research about pilgrims going to Mecca sound a lot like the stories that you'd run across on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> we're like, hey, we could just make a version of this. And at first we were like, it's going to be a, it's going to be like, oh, it'll just be a really short thing we can put together, having no idea of how <laughs> yeah, yeah. many hours it would take to do. I always say I, I spent more time coding and writing all the things in the Hodge Trail than it took to write my dissertation because it was just <laughs> an inordinate amount of work. But it was something that sort of came out of this need in the classroom being like, hey, I want something that's different. That's going to be rather than just putting, you know, what are some other tools that I can make available in my own classroom, but also make something that's free and accessible and available for other teachers to be like, hey, I don't know much about the Islamic world, but there's this great tool I can just insert into my class that can mm -hmm. basically provide an introduction for students and players of what is the Islamic world in 17th century? What was it maybe like to travel on this journey? Yeah, and pique their interest too, because maybe someone, for example, I, did, I didn't know much before I played, I played it, uh, but uh, And I actually played it, and I couldn't finish it before the before the big event. How is it called? Uh, the um, you, you oh, the Hajj itself, or yeah, yeah, the Hajj, yeah, yeah like you, yeah. You, uh -huh, getting to Mecca. I, I couldn't manage it like in the in the time, so I had to wait like another whole year for my oh, pilgrim yeah. to get there. I was there. I I reached it like 15 days afterwards, but yeah. But the, the yeah. thing, <laughs> the thing here is that. Um, basically, it can pique the interest of people that played. Uh, when I played it, I was like. Okay, I'm. I, I maybe I'm reading about this a bit, and and my interest is peaked, and I'm like, okay, I want to know more about this. That it, that also happens when you play a game and you like it, and you like what you're. You want to know more about it, so you you go into the into Google, for example, and you you find out more about the places the pilgrims went and the conditions they went in. So it's like a a, a kind of like a self um, 
a tool that that helps people that want to know more get more mm -hmm. into it it's like a gateway i i think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i would push also on like i resonate with everything i'm hearing but i would also add um it it opens up another way to uh opens up another alleyway to learn uh so it opens up another alleyway to like access the information um as an introduction to a topic it can be great but all in all with the push on differentiation and making sure that every child is able to learn and can learn in their own ways uh video games provide an opportunity to do that and thinking about this game for example uh a kid that might not want to sit through a lecture or might not want to read uh, this text that is going to break down uh, the Hodge Trail. Uh, playing the game might um, provide him enough information for him to then go answer to the quiz and look at the dates and whatnot. Um, I see it with like math, for example. There's a lot of math games out there um, that kids love. And Kids won't necessarily sit through the lesson and be like super focused, but as soon as it's, as soon as they say like, all right, it's prodigy time, and prodigy, they're going to get assessed and they're going to get everything that they need to learn or that they discuss in the lesson, uh, but they're working on it uh, in a game. So I think it's just another way to, uh, along with um, touching on that like curiosity, it's also another way to push uh, to open up other alleyways to learn. Yeah, and and like. You, Tyler, remind me a bit, I don't know if you know him, uh, there's a guy on YouTube named uh, Mark Rober. Have you heard anyone of you or no? Okay, he's like this guy who um, who used to work for NASA. He's the one who, who does this glitter, glitter, um, the glitter package bombs for thieves. Have you heard it? Yeah, about? I okay. have seen that actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. so th he's a guy that uh, he used to work for NASA and now wants to teach people to love uh, physics and mechanical engineering. So he has designed like these videos and, and he has designed a course for people to actually like play, play and learn about this these topics. And I think if, I don't know, I'm, I'm, it's a hypothesis, but I think if when I was at school, uh, we saw physics and math more in that way, I think I would have more gotten more into it than because our classes were too technical. There were like these big blocks of textbook. And if you got it wrong, you you like you were wrong. You were. Yeah. Like so that does not happen so much with video games. Like you never get it wrong. You lose and you restart. Uh, you don't have a, a failing rate and you don't have exactly like a, a fail state as a whole. Uh, you're just playing. Yeah. It, it's different than, than like, I don't know how to explain it, but it, like it's different from you uh, getting into a textbook and not understanding and like getting frustrated versus a, a game that can kind of always tries to pull you into the game, like not holding your hand, but tries to bit by bit, at least good games do, bit by bit go and pull you into the game more and more and more. Uh, but I just, once again, like thanks for, for making the game accessible to many other people because I think it's a, it's a great resource and a great tool for, for other teachers and for students. And hopefully you, uh, I, I don't know if you, you, if you want to do it uh, bigger and, and more, I don't know, like more uh, developed as a whole. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the game. Like, what is the hash trail? Uh, tell us a bit like a, a 
for people that don't know what we're talking about because we've we've talked about like half the half the podcast episode and we haven't mentioned what the hash trail is as a whole <laughs> yeah like i'll i'll go ahead and start like what what it is and then maybe we later we can talk about like what the plans are for mm -hmm. it in the future um so basically it's a if you've played the organ trail you know the basic concept of taking mm -hmm. you you play a, you tap a character and you take them along sort of a historical journey, essentially. And you're making choices along the way about where to go, what to do at different points. And it's um, and the Hodge Trail itself is taking you uh, generally in the sort of late 17th century Ottoman Empire. So the I think I think 1670, 1671 is the start date we give you. <laughs> um, and you start either from three different starting locations: Sarajevo, uh, Istanbul or Damascus. And you have to try to make it to the Hajj pilgrimage, the rites of the Hajj, so where you would actually perform the Hajj in Mecca by a certain date, because the Hajj is based on a lunar calendar. It happens only once per year. You can only It's only valid for you to go on the Hajj, uh, this pilgrimage that all Muslims are coming upon to do once in their lifetime, if they're able to. Uh, you have to reach it within this 10-day window. And so obviously today, when you have an airplane, that is a fairly beyond just cost of tickets and cost of hotel rooms in Mecca. That is, you know, that is something you can easily accomplish and plan for uh, in relatively ease of the modern world. But in the 17th century, it's something that it would take months of travel and you have to plan months ahead of time to try to get to a certain location within a certain window, which is what you were talking about your playthrough. Mm -hmm. You get to Mecca and this has happened to lots of pilgrims historically as well. They get there, but they got there too late and they can't do the rituals of the pilgrimage until it's that specific time of year again. So they have to wait a whole another year. So you have this whole community of people historically that would live in the holy cities waiting for the next mm -hmm. Hajj to Hajj to come. And so the 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 game or or the simulation is what we prefer to call it. I know that's also what um, the Oregon Trail pushed it to do as well uh, later on. Uh, but the the Hajj Trail itself is basically to try to introduce students or players to that Ottoman world, to the travel, but mainly to the journey itself. What were the difficulties of travel? And along the way, you're going to encounter things that are sort of teaching you a little bit here and there, hoping to, op hoping to open the door of curiosity to these different parts of Ottoman life about what you, know, what you would encounter, whether you're going to encounter the Ottoman legal system and judges, we're going to encounter you know, corruption of a local governor, you're going to encounter bandits along the way, you're going to encounter um you know different things or you go to different places uh, you're going to encounter all the different other sacred sites that you know that made up the ottoman world that it wasn't just the cities of mecca and medina mm -hmm. but for many pilgrims they coupled it with going to explore the much broader local sacred geography of the region and so the whole idea is it's going to open you up to all those other avenues with the hope that eventually uh you'll you know you know, find that curiosity that, hey, I found this one part interesting. I'm going to sort of dig into that a little bit further. So we've included almost every single stop of the 300 plus stops you can go to, has historical quotes from travelers from the time period about how they experienced this same location. Uh, we have images for, you know, all the different locations as well, as best we could source and locate. And so there's all these sort of different visual mediums to try to pull you in different ways. And, and it's something that, once again, we've seen, I've seen in my own classroom with students that aren't responding to other material, <laughs> but then when they write their paper on the Hodge Trail, it's the most detailed mm -hmm. thing I've read and they're all re really into it and they're really invested in like, you know, 
buying pistachios at the market and selling it someplace else, you know, all these different, you know, many, many different items we had to sort of put into the marketplace and things like that. So, so it's something that, you know, is still growing. We're still adding to it. We're still editing it. Um, but it is something that like, I think shows the possibilities mm. of our modern world that anyone can really make a game. It's not, it's, you don't need to be a tech company. Obviously you're not going to have the, of course, any the graphics. What's, yeah, you're not going to have any graphics or anything like that. But we made this through Twine, which is the open source digital storytelling platform where you can, where it's fairly, you know, I didn't really know coding before we did this, started this two years ago, and I picked up basically everything enough to make this. Um, and then my, and I only needed my friend, uh, Russ, who was a co-creator in this, where he basically created the basic mechanisms, coding mechanisms for all like the uh, market exchanges, the water, you know, decay system. And then he basically built the organs of it. And then I built the, you know, 300 plus locations of content mm -hmm. and all the choices and things along the way. So sort of you, and that was just two people using this program twine to build something that now is out there in the world and students used to learn. And so I think it's, you know, obviously we're going to, we're actually, we're moving forward with, you know, a more of what a funded version would look like. Um, in the early stages of that, but this was all, you know, a passion project that I think, um, you know, shows the possibilities of, you know, what tools are out there free online that you could make your own digital stories now and do similar sort of things. So you did not have any any background in in, ga in game development as a whole, none. No. And and when you when you were uh, creating these uh, stories for the Hash Trail. Uh, how much was it like like factual textual evidence and how much was it like a creative side that you put it on it yeah so so every event that happens to you is based from a from what a historical pilgrim experienced mm -hmm. um, in one way or another so based for my my own like dissertation and research i had read dozens and dozens of different 17th century pilgrimage accounts or 18th century pilgrimage accounts and basically, and as I was, you know, as we were mapping out and adding things, you know, I'd be reading over these travel accounts and I'd be like, hey, this thing happened to this person. So we're going to, I'm going to make an event that ref reflects this or that, or this mm -hmm. thing happens. So, so most things, I think there may be like a few things that are just sort of, um, you know, the most things are, you know, I'd say 95% of things are something that we have historical reference to. Wow. And so it's the historical sources that inform what you see, where you go as well, the time of travel, all these things, because it's all the initial route of the Hodge Trail that we built in is based on this manuscript of an 18th century Bosnian pilgrim. And in his own account, he wrote every single place he went and how many hours it took him to travel there. And that is the main route. If you don't deviate to any side routes, that is his route. Mm -hmm. Yusuf Rumi, this 18th century pilgrim, and you travel the same exact speed he went, the same exact hours of travel, and you go to the same places. And then we've had other pilgrimage accounts that then filled in these other routes and other choices along the way. Um, but yeah, it's 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 all sourced from these historical sources. And there's like, you know, obviously that's a lot of research, and thankfully that just happened to be my dissertation as well. So, so it's just like pull in lots of knowledge I already had. But for me as a historian, it was also something that was even playing and coding the Hodge Trail was more illum was illuminating for me on just understanding the history of the Hodge and the journey <laughs> to Mecca. Because for me, when you're like a historian and you're reading a travel account, you're like, I want to see what this pilgrim says about the big places. 
Damascus, Mecca, you know, Aleppo, Istanbul, the big cities of the Middle East, and they usually have big sections on those, and then they have small little sections and all the little places in between. But when you have to sit through, both play through, but also code and put descriptions and describe the environment of every single tiny place along the road, places that today, some of them don't even exist because the caravan route is now gone. So there's not a caravan Sarai place for caravans to stop there anymore. You get to understand the, the sort of appreciate these sort of small places along the way, appreciate the difficulty of the journey between these large major places that we think of when we think of the big cities of the Middle East. And so there's a way in which the Hodge Trail also helps us zoom in and understand those places that actually aren't written about as much in major sources, because it is about those places in between that actually define most of the time you're playing the Hodge Trail. Most of the time someone was traveling in the 17th century, they were not in the big, cool cities of the Ottoman world. They were in these small places along the road, talking about the need for water, talking about a local shrine that they happened to go to while they're waiting for the caravan to leave. And it's that that you spend the majority of your time in the simulation. That's also that is actually reflective of the time spent by real pilgrims as well, which is something that would not have come across my mind <laughs> in doing normal research on the pilgrimage to Mecca, on the Hajj, of what to emphasize when talking about the journey. Um, but the Hajj trail and coding it and then playing it is something that helped me learn about the past yeah, in a different way as well. I think it's amazing that, like going back again to the educational side, if you ask a student uh, to read, for example, the the entire book you mentioned of this of this guy uh, Yunuf Yusuf you Yusuf Rumi yeah. Yusuf Rumi. If you ask the student to read the whole book about about Yusuf Rumi, he would maybe it's probable that he would maybe feel bored or he wouldn't read it all or he wouldn't pay as much attention because it's a one way uh, street of information. He reading the the text, but basically playing this game. It's kind of, you could uh, hypothetically do the exact same, like you hypothetically could read the, the, his whole account of the, of the pilgrimage, yeah? Uh, so it's, it's funny to think that like you're transforming a medium, uh, which is uh, a book, kind of, and you're transforming it to something that is much more enriched for a, a, a modern world where students are going to see uh, pictures where students are going to read texts and where they're also going to use their imagination because they're taking decisions. I want to okay. go to the market. I want to sell the pistachios. Uh, I want to go for the water well. I want to go to the religious site. So they're building their own pilgrimage uh, at the same time that they are reading factual, 95% factual evidence uh, of things that really did happen. So I, I think it's amazing. And... I don't know. I don't know if JP, uh, if you like, I guess there are many possibilities to do something similar here in Colombia or at least in Latin America. There has to be, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really well versed in, in Latin American history, which is ironic because we're from here, but, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's another thing I have to mention. Uh, Latin American history at our school compared to the history they taught, at least for me, they taught uh, in English, like the, the English textbooks, the DK uh, textbooks were full of illustrations and charts and graphs mm -hmm. and paintings. Uh, whereas the uh, Spanish written ones were just blocks 
of infinite small text. And so I think that was another factor of me liking more the history that I learned in English than in Spanish, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to digress. I, I, I would like to ask you, when you were creating the game and you were coding it in uh, Twine, um, could you tell us a bit like your journey to learn Twine? Was it, what were the major obstacles uh, or major problems you encountered? Or was there a wall you, you feel like you... Uh, got over the wall at some point and you said like, yeah, this is clicking or maybe like your kind of like your journey coding. Because what you're telling me feels like a big chunk of like, I don't know, coding or a big chunk of something you had to put into Twine so that the, the hash trail uh, became what it is nowadays. Yeah, like the the, the length, I think it's, So somewhere on my Twitter, we posted what like the the number of words that are actually in our Twine game is 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 many many books in length. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how many actual characters? Like if you were to print it out mm -hmm. and like you know have the whole code and the all the text in front of you from the, it, it's a lot. Um, yeah, it was something that like thankfully like I think this is there's there's obviously a learner's curve uh, with Twine for someone like me that had zero background in it. And thankfully, my My good friend and co-creator Russ Gaskia had some basic coding background, and he was basically able to create the the engines for the basically the water decay system, mm -hmm. the market system, the landing page, and then basically as I then took that as like very early on, just sort of taking those and then copying them, making for each stop, and we made Anatolia first as our basic like test one. Um, And that sort of, as I began sort of learning the method of it, I started picking up uh, sort of the the logic of what is basically uh, through largely roughly HTML and then um, some CSS and other things. Um, uh, got a sense of sort of how it actually is all working together. Because as we came across bugs, we need to know where the bugs are coming from. And so as we started debugging things that were happening, I started learning more and more. So it was a lots of process of trial and error. Um, and then basically, as we're adding, you know, later on Arabia, one of the last sections, and then the most recent section, we added the, all the Balkans, uh, Rumelia, Southeastern Europe. That was, you know, I was like a thousand percent more competent what I was doing when I was adding in, where I was adding my own coding mechanics. So the whole like uh, character system where you have your side characters have abilities and those pass and those change, you can recruit different characters. Uh, that was all added by me. So that was like, I was very proud of that because it's like, and like the, the camel market system. And so there are things that basically early on I would not have been able to do. And then as we got more and more coding into it and Russ took more and more of a, you know, he got a job, he had other things, <laughs> other things going on in his life. Um, and I was just adding more and more content. I had, you know, I had to figure out how to do things myself. And so there was something that I was very proud of that. Like, I was like, oh, this, this section, is all me <laughs> of this like complicated system of like how your side characters leave, how you have to repay them every so many number of days, you know, for 45 different side characters you can have with you. So there's, it's, it's definitely something that Twine is great because there are many, many discussion boards on Twine. Mm -hmm. There are many resources you can find online and be like, type in a question, be like, I, you know, and with Sugarcube, which is the, the other system we use within Twine, Uh, where you just type in a question like, I want to do this. And there's many, many the sort of 
the knowledge of the internet, which mm -hmm. can help you try to figure out things here and there. And um, obviously, as you make the game and the story and all these passing variables more and more complicated, uh, it's, you know, the the debugging becomes very fun sometimes as you scavenger hunt mm -hmm. and find where this one typo is. And the, the, the only, the biggest negative of Twine that, that, I, that I have that is very visible in the Hodge Trail itself is uh, there's no spell check in Twine. So oh. my, my typos are still in there and <laughs> I promise someday they are going to be changed. But it was, it is like for someone that like always from a young age, like always typos, always a big thing with me. And then like spell check, great all throughout my rest of my schooling life. And then to go back to no spell check was just like, they, they are in there. I know they're there. They annoy me when I see them, <laughs> but I'm gonna, I, they will be fixed someday. That's the one thing I wish Twine had a, a integrated spell, spell check. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure is someone, you know, there's a way in which I, I could have been less lazy and instead no, of coding directly in Twine, I could have done things in a Word doc yeah, and, and copy the text up, but you know this, this yeah, is what I, it is now. <laughs> it is so much text that I, I I guess you had to do what you had to do. But so yeah. you wrote all the text, like you literally wrote keystroke by keystroke. Yes. Wow, that's that's amazing. I want to know how did you do for the artwork and the music? Yeah, so so the artwork we uh, because the game is you know not-for-profit, it's sort of mm -hmm. open copyright, essentially. Uh, we were able to just try to pull artwork from museums. And so when we, when possible, we got, uh, you know, and there's some great museums that have like open source artwork that mm -hmm. you can get, like the um, Rijksmuseum in the Netherlands is a great collection that you can, in their Rijks studio thing, you can like pull different images and use it in your projects and okay. stuff for creative stuff. Um, and so we, one of the big things with like sourcing all the images, which is always like, also another revelation and sort of I, I always wanted to have if we had an Ottoman image or an, uh, of like a place, I wanted the Ottoman and how the Ottomans imagined and shaped that place to be the first thing the student will see. Okay. And then second tier is that if we don't have an Ottoman image, we're going to use a European uh, image, hopefully from the 17th century. If that's not available, then we're going to find a 19th century European Orientalist image because that's the, 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 the chain of like mm -hmm. <laughs> priority. And basically, as I learned, is that the Ottomans uh, did not paint rural landscapes, is what I, was my understanding, uh, that they only painted urban landscapes, which is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of makes sense in the long of like lots of things about Ottoman urbanity and things like this. But uh, that was, you know, obviously, so it'd be easy to find an image for, say, Istanbul or the big cities mm -hmm. like Aleppo, Damascus. But then when you're like, I need to find images for these five stops in the middle of you know, not not a very populated place. Mm -hmm. The historical images of it was sometimes a long uh, internet journey. And there's some things that we on our sources page on the website that we include some of the links to the some some good websites that have some good databases of images that we pulled from. Um, and then yeah, and then also every place finding an historical quote. I'd always have multiple different travel accounts open in front of me trying to pull both from what the pilgrim is saying about that place to try to have that describe that place. So if the pilgrim talks about there's no water or the water was poor in this place, mm -hmm. place we're going to give it poor water quality in the game, uh, you know, pulling from different different places to try to get some historical account of someone um, experiencing that same location. So that was also major sort of labor intensive amount of just uh, researching and pulling all that stuff in um, for each location. And you can see if you play, like we're currently 
trying to add like art historical context tabs to every image to have like more background stuff with it. And so I'm, I'm making this database um, with, with like all the images mm. and like where they're from. And so I have to go back and resource things. And one thing, Anatolia is clearly, you can tell that Anatolia, the first region from Istanbul that you go into, is the first one we did because the amount of historical quotes I have, the amount of other information is much less. So like the, there's, it was definitely our first trial run. And I can tell that like the Balkans, which is the last one we did, which is ironically where you could start and be your first one, the, the historical quotes are much more specific the images. You know, there's just like a whole range of which like as this grew, the I got much more fine-tuned about what the style is, what the wording is, what the you know all these sort of things. And Anatolia is still a little bit of a you know our first child of of the regions we created. <laughs> so, and, and in terms of the music, did you the music was I guess open open uh, open directions? Yes, or? yes, yeah. So we so we looked up basically on like Library of Congress mm. website just for like stuff that's out of copyright. It's just like basically looking up folk music mm -hmm. uh, 50s and before okay. is what we looked for. Okay. Um, and once again, it's sort of a creative project. It's There's no profit coming from it, so we sort of squeeze around copyright in some things, but it's uh, something that like for a future version of the Hodge Trail, like we would have to have custom images and custom uh, music. And so that is the, if there was like a, a funded version. <laughs> so that, that's a big obstacle for that as well. We, we, we're going to talk about that in a second, but I want to ask you first, uh, I think it's it's cool that in most areas, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you have like a small historical tab below the, the main, um, like the main story, yeah. which is kind of to guide students, I guess, or if students want to learn more, about what they are seeing they can access that historical tab yes yes yeah so it's sort of that's where the historical quotes are for every location and then it'll also sometimes provide a little bit different background information about that specific place mm -hmm. like a more direct that was what, yeah and that, that's the thing i tell my students when they play it i was like you don't need to read every single one of those but the idea is that if this place grabs your attention there is more for you there okay. to understand the space okay. um originally those tabs weren't there and it was all together and it was just like a wall of text attacking you so we we mm -hmm. cut it up to try to drop down it as much as possible nice. and try to keep the story text relatively short um, and simple uh, to tell you what the place has um, except for some major locations where we have a little bit more information and, and so could you tell us a bit how you are using the hash trail on your on your uh, curriculum or classes Yeah, like I, I use it in um, uh, as any class I can fit it into in some sense because I was like, this is a lot of work. You're all you're yeah. all gonna play it. Um, <laughs> like I, I had a specifically gaming and history class I designed last uh, spring, which we played a game every week, and one of the weeks I include the Hodge Trail as wow. well. Wow, a um, gaming and history class. Yeah, no, it's really it's really fun. Like we board games and video nice. games, and we basically read stuff like contextualizing it, what how the game's presenting it, how the mechanics shape how someone how it's teaching that history. Because you know, in game design, the whole yeah, idea yeah. is that you know the game you don't play the game, the game plays you. So mm -hmm. like the mechanics you build are shaped very strictly shaping the experience and telling you what is important. And then implicitly, what's not important. So, so critis, you know, looking at games in those lights, and and so I included in that, and then I included usually my world history classes as like a part of the intro to the Islamic world, 
Um, and it usually goes over well, even with students that don't have a, a deeper background in it, like we'd have in like a specific like um, Ottoman Empire class or something. And yeah, it's, I have friends that have used it at other schools and a friend that used it at Stanford, uh, friends that have used it in Turkey in their classrooms That's as so well. Cool. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's out there in different ways. And I think, you know, hope, and I've heard from lots of people uh, since we sort of more properly released it the spring and got written up in The Economist uh, this summer mm -hmm. that I've heard from lots of people that they're like, hey, we're going to use it in the fall. So like, I'm, so I'm, cool. you know, hopefully more and more people are going to encounter it in different ways. That's great. And actually, the class, your gaming history class, I, I'd love to take that class. That sounds amazing. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I hope I, I I'm starting at a new school, um, Central Connecticut this uh, this uh, fall as a new position there, and they have a specifically I'm excited they have a specific e gaming lab is what they wow. call it. But they said they haven't used an education yet because <laughs> they got it just before the pandemic, and mm -hmm. then they just use it for their uh, gaming club, and it has all these all the systems. And I'm like I'm so excited to do that so class. Cool again this next spring it but sounds with amazing. all the resources for it it um, sounds amazing yeah, it, yeah it's basically a film class but with games <laughs> oh yeah yeah it sounds amazing actually because i love film too but it sounds amazing yeah. <laughs> um so going back to the hutch trail um what would be your vision I heard you you were seeking funding, but what would be your vision for the game if it got funding? Where would you see the hash trail going forwards? Uh, or in, in what ways would you think you could improve the hash trails if it became funded? Yeah, so, so that's like something that I've had conversations since the spring through the summer with uh, two people that have sort of gotten involved recently in the project. Uh, Zaid Khan, who's like a Um, at University of Toronto, but he's mm -hmm. like, uh, um, he helps with like academics and like the business world connection thing. Mm -hmm. So he's like on strategy side of things. And then uh, his friend Mustali Raj, who's a Canadian graphic designer. And basically we're putting together over the summer and then in the early fall, a pitch deck uh, with the ideas to then go to museums, uh, other big funders to try to get funders, and then also talk to indie game development companies to try to get a price point of what to connect those two things with the whole idea that a funded Hodge Trail, essentially uh, the funded version part two, uh, is uh, uh, the whole idea is that you think of like uh, you know, Islamic miniature painting or Islamic art that you see a lot in the Hodge Trail itself. Think of that, but like uh, Paper Mario, but in uh, Islamic mm -hmm. miniature mm -hmm. painting. So okay. all these sort of locations that you go to are going to be explored in the sort of semi 2D, 3D mm -hmm. space, but you're within Islamic manuscript painting. The pages on each sort of the whole idea concept art now that we're working on is like you're going through an Islamic illustrated manuscript. So like each location you go to is actually on a page and there's like the margins of the manuscript and you're like within the image itself. And that those images are also going to the art style is going to change based on regions to teach you about the different changes in Islamic art across across the world in different places. And so you'll have the same concept, but it will be much more. There'll be this animated portion of it. There'll be, um, you know, much more integrated, you know, UI, animated map, all these things. But then the actual sort of interactions of going to different places within the towns, all the base sort of historical background, all these other things is still going to be very central and incorporated to it. So it's it's sort of like this uh, dream idea that I think is, you know, early conversations we have with people is plausible to do. We yeah, just it, need it to is. I think it is possible. 
get it out the out the door essentially. Mm -hmm. But and this with this version, the Twine version being sort of like the the concept demo of like mm -hmm. what are some of the the core pieces of it, and you know we'd also then expand it to. Uh, starts from Morocco and starts from India, which have always been planned as sort of this broader scope so cool. of the Hodge Trail as well. So yeah, no, I, I think it is possible. Um, thinking about it, two things come to mind. First, a game I've mentioned to JP, uh, which is an Inuit game called uh, Never Say Alone or something like that. I don't know if you I have it? heard of it. Never, Never Alone. I think it's called. Yeah, Never Alone, uh, which is Kisima Inichuna. Um, it's a puzzle platformer video game developed by Upper One Games. Uh, but yeah, it's well, it's not as historically accurate as yours. It's not as deep as yours. But I think there's a broad... Well, I mean, you've tested the game. And after the, the note came in The Economist, you've heard of many people wanting to use the game. So I think there's a market for that game there. Uh, so I, I think it is plausible, but I, I read somewhere that you were um, open for volunteers. You were looking for volunteers. Uh, I don't know, maybe somebody that's listening to the podcast maybe can contribute it to your game. So what kind of roles are you looking for in your volunteers? Yeah, like at, at this moment with where these, like it's about fine tuning what we have with this demo version for the work with the Twine version. So you know, we're currently, basically, I'm putting together this whole database of all the images, and then we're going to do a call for, like, art historians to help, because I'm not an art historian, mm -hmm. so, like, we need blurbs for it, like a museum blurb for, like, every single image you come across, and so that's that's a lot of work, and so we're hoping to split that off amongst multiple people that can contribute, you know, two or three different entries. There's other things that we, you know, working with someone to, we have someone that um, has, you know, had preliminary conversations with that they're willing to work on the side to do a translation of it of it of it into Turkish and things like that. So translators to have translators. multiple language versions uh, possible in the future. Um, and then, but but the more concrete things <laughs> was just like uh, play testers or people mm -hmm. you know that are going to seriously go through and be like, where are Tyler's typos? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, where where have we found them? Um, or like, there's a few bugs here and there that we need to figure out. We've solved most of the major ones, uh, but there there's weird things too, where like, uh, you know, the moon, when you, you when you get to Arabia, you have the choice to travel at night or during the day, which is always a trade-off historically mm -hmm. as well. And the moon symbol on the top left uh, doesn't work on Mac computers for some reason. So so there's some, there's some things that we just, you know, there's, bugs here and there but um you know mainly just people to put in an effort and be like hey i want to help i yeah, i just want to play test it mm -hmm. go through let us know what you find because you know we're still developing other things and working on other things and i'm basically you know the only main person <laughs> spending <laughs> most of my time on this so like it any help is is useful okay. um as well so so what i'm hearing uh something that bothers you a lot <clears throat> the typos yeah. Yes, it, 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 it's, uh, it's, I, I always, uh, it, it always, uh, it's the same thing happened with my dissertation. There's a typo on the second page of it after it was all printed and submitted. And I'm just like, it's just like, it, it, it drives me because I, it, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's all my fault. There's no one else that's fault as is. And it's, uh, it's right there in my face. <laughs> Okay. Okay. No, Tyler. I think. I think. Uh, once again, thank you very much for accepting the invitation. I don't know if JP wants to add anything or ask any other questions regarding the game or to Tyler. Uh, 
Um, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, you know, this is mostly thought for uh, undergrad or even graduate level courses. Uh, I'm not sure if you have at all envisioned the possibility of even making a, a, a version that's, that's adequate for, for like a high school class. Yeah, I have, I have a friend, uh, uh, one of my friends from high school who became a high school history teacher. And he, I know he used it a bunch in his classes, um, in his like world religions classes and stuff. And actually, and actually uh, we have like a little like survey at the end of the hot trail that you can like send comments to. His students were the most enthusiastic of sending <laughs> helpful comments. So, so like uh, than, than any of my like college <laughs> students. Um, so like, um, I, you know, yeah, that's something that we're, the main thing with that is that, you know, we're like the assignments we have, which I think are like, I assign students to write their own journal with it. So they write a journal as their character, a day by day journal of what they experience. And that's their sort of assignment that they do with it. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to like, we've had some people use it in the high, in high school classrooms that I know of, um, but it's, it would be great to sort of hear from like high school educators to be like, hey, what assignments would pair well with this. I know the original, yeah. actually I found when I was teaching this gaming history class and we're doing the Oregon Trail Week, I found, you can find online the original like 1970s guidebook for the Oregon Trail that they gave to teachers. And there's like all these assignments and questions they had and quizzes you could assign with the original Oregon Trail. And there's, some of them are kind of funny <laughs> how they structured it, but it's, uh, you know, it'd be great to get perspectives from high school educators about Hey, how could what assignments are you assigning with this that pair well that mm -hmm. we could then advertise as suggested assignments for this other level? Because I think it's it does it can pair well with a I think high school world history world religions mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. those sort of courses. Great. Well, hopefully maybe you can use it further on on some of your classes, JP. I don't know if you touched those uh, those historical periods. I'm not sure. Um, I'm moving up to high school next year, so okay. Uh, yeah, keep and, it in my and back pocket and yeah, and my my friend Russ, who helped co-create it, he he's now like he got his PhD in history, but he's now teaching high school in like eighth grade, I believe, uh, doing okay. English and history. And I know he's used it uh, in some of his classes as well. Okay, or one of his classes with students like this uh, elective class and they all liked it. So, you know, well, <laughs> you know, I think there's definitely possibilities there, even though the, yeah, the yeah, main yeah. design obviously was from my own experience of what I wanted to use it in the classroom. Cause uh, I don't know if the hash trail, I'm not sure. Does the have hash trail have currently, um, like, a not a guidebook, like, but like, a like an academic guide for teachers. No. Right. Uh, no, I just said, we just have suggest two different types of suggested assignments on the website. And then we have like an instructions guide. Eventually we wanted to do a tutorial and then, uh, it just has but, been delayed cause I wasn't the one <laughs> working on it. Um, so like, um, it's, it's just like, um, uh, yeah, but we have like also a printout tutorial. It's like what, what yeah, but, but more than a tutorial, I think you could maybe in the future or maybe not you, but uh, teachers that use the game, they might, um, like submit what they are using or what types of questions they are asking so that mm -hmm. you might in the future construct or somebody constructs like a kind of a, a guide slash educational plan for teachers to use the game more in their classrooms. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Like, I think that would be great because right now, yeah, we just have like an suggested mm -hmm. assignment, not like a, like, not like a unit yeah, you yeah, build yeah. it around and, and 
more pinpointed questions. Yeah, which would we dive into? Would be awesome. Yeah, I'm just thinking when when I was at school, um, yeah, when we were learning about. I remember the Euphrates River and the other river below it, which I just forgot the name. But I remember Matthew Shannon, well, he didn't use video games, but he used a lot of other complementary materials and presentations and games uh, around the book, which I think made it what it it made it more than just a history class. So I think it'd be great if some, if someday teachers are using the hash trail and similar games uh, around their, their curriculum to, to teach mm -hmm. history. That would be amazing. <clears throat> so yeah, Tyler, I think once again, thank you very much for accepting the invitation for the, for the podcast. Uh, I hope the hash trail grows and becomes bigger and more used by many other teachers. Uh, and once again, I, I thank you on behalf as me as a young student, because I, I, uh, I know you're very passionate about what you teach and what you do for your students. And I think that's absolutely great because uh, in a way you, you might not know it, but you're changing a lot of lives that, uh, of students that, that take your class and become very passionate about subjects because of their teacher. No, I appreciate that. And thank, thank you for having me on. I think like having spaces to discuss games in education is you know very important because I think it's something that's so overlooked and And also so many people just dismiss it as unserious when it's mm -hmm. a very serious thing that yeah. shapes many of how the ways in which we think about and engage with the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And JP, thank you for accepting my invitation too. on uh, being on an, another yeah. podcast episode after one year of, uh, of not being in, a, in an episode <laughs> with me. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the invite, man. I'm glad that I got to spend this time with y'all. Tyler, I am super excited to play the hot trail and to see where where this project goes uh, so thank you thank yeah you. and i apologize to anyone that uh, fell victim to dying in the desert um, as many of my students who did not prepare <laughs> enough water um <laughs> <laughs> this is a classic problem <laughs> no i the the, the 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 couple of times i played i actually uh i kind of chickened out and i uh checked the option for the water and, and food not spoiling Oh yeah, yeah, and that makes it a lot of, a lot easier. Not the easiest, but a lot easier than than without yeah. it. Because without it, yeah, you 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 die, <laughs> you die in the It's, middle of the without coin and without food and without yeah, water. Yeah, there's there's there are strategies that need to be used to. <laughs> yes, yes, it, yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs>